When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. I did a film study with Ken McCusick. Uh, I wish we were doing a postseason show, but we're not. So, Ken McCusick, how are you doing? I think I'm going to classify this as episode one of season two of Film Study with Ken McCusick. <laughs> Sounds good, Josh. Uh, boy, I mean, yeah, we could be doing better. We could be heading somewhere for a postseason game after a win in week one. And I think uh, you know, it really looked like a game they could have won, certainly in Kansas City with the way it went. Well, yeah, but that was the whole season. But it's 2018. We get to start talking about next year. I know it's January, but uh, the Ravens have made more moves, I think, to prepare for next year than the Orioles have to prepare for this year. So uh, let's get started with talking. And we've got a special guest tonight. Yeah, indeed indeed we do. Let me introduce him if that's okay, Josh. Uh, uh, Brian McFarlane is someone I've worked with at Russell Street Report now for over a decade. He was there when I first got there in, in 2006. Um, and he is uh, broadly known throughout the Twitterverse and all other areas of the internet as the expert on the Ravens salary cap. And Brian joins us tonight, and we're going to ask him a lot of questions. How you doing, Brian? 
Good, good. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Where can they just we start off? Where can they find your work and uh, and uh, Twitter and whatnot? Sure. Well, I have Twitter. I'm at Raven Salary Cap. Um, I'm, this is my busy time of the year, obviously. Unfortunately, um, I like to wait as long as I can to write my next year's preview article, and they 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 pulled out till the end. But um, it would have been nice to wait another week or two before having to publish it. But um, so, and then all my articles are uh, on Brussels Street Report. Um, just hit the salary cap tab, and and there I am. There you go. Okay, and there's no better place than that. That beginning of the off-season article is a piece I look for every week, from, every year from Brian, I should say, and it's probably the best single State of the Ravens financially piece you can find anywhere. So I really encourage you to read that. You're missing out if you don't. has all kinds of things about, uh, you know, where can the Ravens get cap space and, some, and other things we'll talk about. But we're, we're going to hit on some of those items, but we can't hit on nearly all of them. So I, I really advise you to go out that. If you have questions about contract details for the Ravens, all of that is out there as well, provided by Brian. One of the things I like to, to make sure people understand is Brian puts a ton of work into this. And if you're going to quote his material, make sure you credit him for where you're getting this. And I, I know that's a bugaboo we've, we've had in the past, but I do like to see that. I don't like people claiming that, well, you know, according to the whatever cap information we have here at CBS, then we knew this when they really just went to Brian's work. So anyway. Okay. Thank you, Ken. <laughs> <laughs> um, one of the big things this offseason, probably the biggest story uh, cap-wise, is that the Ravens have for some time now been borrowing from the future cap. And that's effectively what you do anytime you uh, restructure a contract. You borrow from the future cap. And they've done so uh, in increasing amounts over the past few years. Can you sort of explain that, Brian? Sure. Well, there was, you know, if, if going way back, the um, the purge of 2002 was created by re restructuring. And what people don't always realize is when the Ravens arrived from Cleveland, they were in cap hell and in, as a way of and they weren't very good. So as a way of trying to make the team better, they kept restructuring contracts and that allowed them to sign guys like Saragusa and McCrary um, and Woodson. So. Uh, finally, in 2000, after winning the Super Bowl in 2001, or the, uh, January of 2001, they uh, restructured everything one more time. And obviously it didn't work the next year. Uh, they lost in the playoffs in Pittsburgh. And then in 2002, they cut bait. And from that point on, they've had a pretty clean cap. They have not needed to do restructures. In fact, Steve Bishotti came out in 2003 or four, somewhere in that range, and said that the Ravens would never do them again. They weren't going to let that happen. Well, here we get to 2011, and the salary cap with the new CBA jumped back about $10 million, and a lot of teams, the Ravens being one, got stuck. So um, they've been tight. Pretty, they had a pretty clean cap prior to that, but they've been tight up against the cap since then. And the last couple of years, they have dug back into that well and started doing restructures. And what that means is basically you are borrowing net. It's nobody's losing any money. Nobody's gaining any money. It's the same amount of money. It's just accounted for differently. And basically what that means is you're borrowing tomorrow's cap dollars to create cap dollars this year. And last, last year, uh, between, I guess it was between, uh, June and October, they re they restructured four contracts 
that was on top of two from the year before and on uh, top of one or two the prior year. So the more you do that, the more you're eating into your future cap dollars. And this year, which at one point seemed to be kind of a the light at the end of the tunnel, now here we are and they're tight against the cap again because they've probably lost $10 million to, to those restructures or maybe more over the last couple of years. So, wow. So that's a, that's a lot of dollars. There's two things about what you just said that, that interested me greatly. The first was that a lot of fans, I think, think of the 2000 team as being a particularly young team. And they were, generally speaking, very young. They were a little bit older on the defensive line, but the linebackers were very young. The secondary was very young. They think of it as being a very young star team. But they were really on their last chance already to win it when they did, at least with that team. Yeah, I would I would certainly say so. I mean, obviously, you know, Woodson, um, Sharp, they were at the end. Obviously, you could you could talk about the quarterback and the shelf life of, of Dilfer. Uh, and then, obviously, Gerback coming in. And Gerback was one of those big pushes again. That was, they you know, they had planned to, to get the quarterback that they thought could win it for them again. And Gerback was young enough that they thought they could weather a slight down year. Uh, and, you know, they did that, you know. 2002 they won seven and nine which was pretty good considering the uh, I mean, what they lose like uh 12 i think they they lost like 12 starters from the prior year it might have been more than that um and so and obviously in 2003 they were right back into the playoffs so uh but they of course had expected that to be with gerback but that failed miserably mm-hmm. it's, the, the 2002 team is one of my favorites and going back over that Part of the reason that made it tenable was because the Ravens had so much astounding depth on the defensive line in 2001 that they were able to go with all young talent. Now, young talent was great. It was Kelly Gregg, Adelis Thomas that they had on the defensive line. Marcus Douglas was still around. Uh, and then they brought in Weaver as a, as a new draft pick that year. But, boy, that was, uh, it, 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 as Cap Purgis goes, that could be a, was about as painless as it could possibly be. Well, absolutely, and they were, you know, they were drafting so well back then. In the 2001, what did they draft? They drafted Heap and and, and was Baxter in 2001, and then Ed Reed came along in 2002. So, I mean, that mm-hmm. was that was quite a haul those two years. Um, and Mulatalo was in there as well. So, Anthony you know, that, those were those were, yep, yeah. So that they were at the top, and they had a bunch of young, uh, another other guys that were at least contributors. Of course, I guess on the 2002 team they had to be, but um, so yeah, I mean, so that was, and that might have been one of Bill's best coaching jobs, to be honest with you, too. Mm-hmm. You're you're, yeah. you're mentioning about how that 2001 Super Bowl kind of affected things years later. How is then in 2013? We're five years removed from that. Is that still that Super Bowl team still affecting cap wise the team today? No, I mean, the, the, the 2001 team, uh, the, that Super Bowl team only really affected the next year because okay. they cut bait. Um, and then because they had restructured so many contracts over the prior five years. By the time you got to 2012, they, they, they really had a relatively clean cap, except for the fact, again, that in 2011, that cap dropped, dropped back $10 million. The overall league cap dropped uh, back ten million, and that that caught a lot of teams because they were expecting it. Well, it had always gone up, and it can you know, and every year otherwise it's gone up. But that year it came back with the new CBA when the owners put their foot down and said we're going to start controlling player costs. 
So, uh, so that was the big thing there. And, and they've and they've since 2011, and they've 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 really struggled. And you know, we can get into the virtues of Flacco's contract or not, but clearly, and that hasn't actually been the big numbers are really just hitting last year and this year. But obviously, when you're you know when you're paying out uh, as cap numbers, you're looking at 20 plus million. Uh, that just means less money to go elsewhere. Yeah, I think that's some, that's a comment that's made around the league by various franchises. You have your golden moment for four or five years at the start of a quarterback's career where you're underpaying him, and hopefully you're not still working off the debt from the last guy for the first year there, and you you then have some very cheap years. So as great as Jimmy Garoppolo seems to be for San Francisco, they're going to have to pay immediately for him very large dollars, so they won't have... Yeah those golden cap years from him. And, and obviously the Flacco years, the first year under the cap, you get you get only the pro rata portion plus usually a very low salary, right? So it might have been seven, eight million for Flacco's first year originally on the contract? Uh, I, yeah, I think it was yeah I, yeah, I think it was about six point eight million and then it went up to maybe twelve or fourteen and then eighteen and then they redid the contract when it was supposed to go up into the twenties and made it back down to about eighteen. And then this year, so this year is the first year that we we really see the big number, and it's you know it's close to. Well, I mean, this past year it was like 22, and now it's 25. So um, yeah, so this is where it really hits. And you know, obviously, you know, we can talk about what he's got around him, and I know this is a defense show, but obviously he's going next year. He's going to have to start playing better, um, or they're going to be in deep deep trouble. Right. Yeah, it, remi- it reminds me of a, a of a credit card when you get your first credit card in college and you're really excited because you bought bought this thing and you got exactly what you wanted, and about five years later you're kind of regretting that you're still paying for that thing originally, even though you really liked that thing five years ago and were really excited then. It's it's pales right now when you realize you're still paying for it. So, something tells me you're speaking yeah, from like, personal experience, Josh. <laughs> I'm just <laughs> it's it's. Yeah, it's it's like paying for a starting paying a long term deal on a starting pitcher, right? Well, th- that I wish the Orioles would do, and I've, I'll go into debt for that. <laughs> oh no, Brian! I think Brian and I did two against one on that. <laughs> but uh, I, I don't like ever paying a long term deal on a pitcher. Yeah. Anyway, it, well, I mean, but uh, yeah, well, yeah. We'll, we'll move on. I, I want to come back to generating cap space for 2018. We'll talk about that in a minute. But before we do that, I want to talk about Rick Wagner. Because you said something very interesting on Twitter that I picked up on but never followed up about how Rick Wagner's injury, which occurred against the Ravens, might affect the comp pick. Yeah, well, so when, when, when comp picks are determined, basically the first step is that you value the, the, it's the yearly average of the contract. And that kind of sets the initial round and there are obviously thresholds for third round and fourth round and, and so forth. So Wagner was clearly in the third round, but there's there are other factors that can move that pick up or down. Um, postseason honors uh, help move it up. Um, and then playing time or lack of playing time in, in this case can move it down. And that was what the concern was. Now thankfully, Wagner got a hurt in week Thirteen, I guess it was. Um, so maybe maybe it was twelve. So, but it was late in the season. So thankfully, uh, it does not look like the lack of playing time pushed it down. And there are thresholds for that as well. Um, there's there's uh, overthecap.com, which does 
league-wide cal- salary cap stuff. They do a real good job over there. They don't steal stuff. We kind of talked about that stuff earlier. I've, I've worked hand-in-hand with the owner of that site for many years, and they do a great job of projecting the comp picks. Um, and they've got a formula. They've got a, a computer formula that they've created based on the history, and, and they're pretty darn accurate. So it looks like, and they, 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 they figured out these playing time thresholds, so it looks like Wagner will stay a third, thankfully. If he had dropped to a fourth, then he would offset be offset by Jefferson, and then the Ravens would have only gotten a sixth because the way it works, you, the guy you sign, um, he, he cancels out a guy the same round or a lower round. So, so Wagner being up the higher round from Jefferson right now, as it looks, that we still we still maintain the third. Um, if you remember going back, comp picks the one year we lost uh, Baxter and another guy we didn't talk about, Ed Hartwell. They both signed very large contracts and were lined up to be uh, late third round picks, but they both got hurt within the first couple games of the season and, and ended up not playing. And those comp picks got dropped down uh, at least a round. I think one of them got dropped down to I think one went to a fourth and one went to a fifth. So that's sort of how the lack of playing time can play in. But it, thankfully, it looks like we're okay with Wagner. All right. All right. Well, uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about? How to generate cap in 2018. So if the Ravens have needs, if they decide this team is peaking, you know, in terms of having a young defense, which we'll talk a little bit about later in the show, but how do they go about generating cap for 2018? Well, there are basically three ways you can generate cap. One is you extend the player's contract, and when you do that, you basically take his what is generally a large base salary, drop that down to very low, give him a big signing bonus, and then that 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 will lower his cap number for that year. And of course, then you you add on years either to the the length of his contract or um, or if he's if he's going to be a pending free agent the next year, then it's all new years to the to a new contract. So extensions are one way. Uh, obviously, cutting guys is another way. There there are salary cap ramifications of signing bonuses that the player may have gotten and portions of those that count. That's what we call dead money. Um, so, um, you know, there, for instance, if they cut Flacco right now, there's no cap savings. In fact, they would, they would actually lose cap space. So he would cost 28 million. So anybody who thinks that cutting Flacco or trading Flacco was a good idea, it, 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 uh, it, it's cap suicide. Um, they're better off having him on the roster. Even if he didn't play, they're better off having him on the roster. So is there, is there a two year cost to that? I I just want to stop you on Flacco Um, here for a second. Sure. If you, if he's released after June first, then there's a two year cost. If he's released prior to June first, then all the dead money hits all in that year, and sometimes that makes sense because then you don't have a lingering cost. Uh, they could release. I mean, I guess conceivably they can release Flacco after June first of this year if that if that was their their inclination. Uh, it really doesn't provide them cap savings. Um, until June, because when you release a guy post-June 1, or you can actually release two guys prior to June 1 using the June 1 designation, but you don't realize the cap savings until June 1. So Flacco was released post-June 1. It would be basically $13 million in dead money this year, 16 next year, and there would be $12 million in cap savings. 
but again, you wouldn't see that money till June one. And these days, you know, June one used to be a day when the next round of free agency started. Well, these days, because most teams have so much cap money, they not wor- they're not worried about trying to split that that dead money. Only a team like the Ravens, or when you are releasing somebody with a huge cap number, uh, it does post June one make any sense anymore. Okay, I, 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 my question is actually slightly different, although I'm glad you explained that because that's a really important okay. thing to understand about post-June 1. But my, my thing was, Flacco has a 2018 salary, and I don't know what it is, but he has some significant 2018 salary probably. If you, elim- if you cut him this year, and, and then you look at this, at the cost of it over a two-year period, you do actually save his 2018 salary. Into, it's kind of like borrowing from the past instead of borrowing from the future, the way I would describe it. Well, yes, yes. He, yes. If, he's cut, if he's cut prior to, with, prior to June 1, then he's totally off the books in the future. So they, they deal with everything this year. Um, again, they would, they would take an extra $4 million hit. So it's basically... As opposed to a 25 million cap number, it would be a 29 million dead money hit. Uh, but but uh, next year he's he is totally off the books at that point. Yeah. So in 2019, there's no there's no lingering cost either cash wise because none of his money is guaranteed anymore, uh, or cap wise. All right. Yeah, All right. So anyway, go well, ahead. John. As we're on Flacco, I've heard a few people talk about how this could be Flacco's last year in Baltimore. And is that all about that cap savings? Yes. I mean, the 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 real um, the first economically, um, at least cap. Well, let me let me do it two different ways. Cap wise, the earliest uh, he could be conceivably, and at least in my opinion, released would be a June 1 release in 2019. Um, the reason I say that is because that is the point that you can, again, you don't get any cap savings till June, um, but at that point, his dead money is less. And this, this is the last year of all the dead money, all the bonus prorations from his first contract. So that, that, that's huge because... At this point, if he was released June 1 of 2019, then there's $8 million in dead money in 19 and $8 million in dead money in 20. Now, it doesn't sound great, but it's, it's, it, it really is, uh, would be sizable. Plus, next year in 19, now again, they would, all, they would not see this till after June 1, but they would have $18.5 million in cap savings. And assuming they carried at least eight million of that over into the next year, then they essentially carry that over to wash away the eight million in dead money they carried over. So that's a point. I mean, this is this is a make or break year uh, for Flacco because I don't. I think you know there, there's two factors that cap wise it becomes possible, and the other thing is because his salary next year salary this year is twelve million. Obviously, not nothing to sneeze at. But in 2019, again, his base salary is 18.5 million. What is something? What's something that people don't? People pay attention to the cap all the time. They don't pay attention to cash. If Flacco has another year like he's had the last couple, I find it hard to believe that the Ravens are going to shell out 18.5 million in cash to him. Right. They'll figure out a way, which again would probably. 
Go ahead, go ahead, Ken. I, I, I'm just sorry to say the the 18.5 million is a is sort of a good number in the sense because it represents an amount that you can restructure and also an amount that is a savings if you cut the guy. So you're, you're absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, so a, a base salary of only 12 million in 2018 actually restricts the Ravens in a big way, and that's why the the dead money. Number and I'm looking directly at your spreadsheet to do this is twenty eight point seven five yeah. million. Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, they could. Yeah, they could. I mean, they could release him, um, or they could restructure his contract. Twelve is certainly a restructurable number, absolutely. Uh, but again, that would be adding more dead money into the future, and I don't think that would be a wise idea at this point. Next, you now let's say he has a fantastic year this year, and he has a Super Bowl year, then perhaps because they're on the prorations from the second contract now and they're, not, and they're not as large as prior years, perhaps they would extend him next year if he had a great year this year. But I think, you know, at this point, if he doesn't have a gangbuster year, not only is it easier to cut him from a cap perspective, but the Ravens, um, Bishotti's got to sit there and write an $18.5 million check or 17 of them during the season. That's a big number. I mean, that's, that's writing him a million dollar check every, every week um, of the season. Uh, if he's not playing way better than he has, I, I, I you know, that's, that's something teams don't want to, I mean, you know, the, the cap forces them to pay, they'll pay. But when it becomes a point where the cap isn't really forcing you to pay, that's a lot of money to pay for a guy if he's underperforming still. Right. Understood. And, and that's, uh, Flacco's performance in the second half does lend some hope, although his yards per attempt is still fairly low. But in looking at this contract, and you know, you've got a, if you were to assign a probability of being released prior to 18, 19, 20, and 21, what probability would you assign to each year? I know I didn't let you prepare mm, for this well, question. That's all right. Um, you know, obviously it depends on how he plays. If he, if he plays up to his potential, you know, I, and I'll just say near pro bowl worthy, he makes, he, you know, he makes it all the way through. If he keeps playing the way he is, or maybe a little better, I would say next year is 50, 50. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it, if he keeps, if he doesn't, if it's, if it doesn't start improving, I would think the next year then it's just $8 million in 2020 and they would save $20 million. I would think, I would think he's gone at that point. Um, which is why I would, you know, we could talk about the draft and where they, you know, where, if they want to draft a, a quarterback this year, um, I don't know that happens this year. It might happen in later rounds this year in 19. I don't have any doubt it happens, whether it's at the top of the draft, because, They've gotten rid. They're they're going to get rid of him, or uh, and that'll be a test if they draft a guy in the first round and it looks like they might cut him. That sounds like June one is going to happen. <laughs> yeah, that's it is a self fulfilling prophecy in that way. And so, you know, there's there's reasons I like drafting developmental quarterback. A guy rounds three through six, I'll say, not one, not two. In the second round, the guy is already the favorite player in town of every fan out there on Twitter. And it's just not a situation you generally want, uh, you know, to have being talked about in the media all the time. Even Chris Redman, that was a discussion. And and when Elvis Gerback yeah. was not playing well. So, I mean, it's really not something you want. No, no, absolutely. And, you know, for a lot of years, they, 
it seemed like they drafted a quarterback in the fifth or sixth round every year. Um, and, you know, obviously Troy Smith wasn't super special, but, you know, he provided, he, pro- he provided decent backup time a couple times he got in. And obviously Tyrod Taylor certainly, uh, I can't remember if he was a fifth or a sixth, but, um, you know, he, he certainly has proven to be at, you know, at least a, a viable starter. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so that's the kind of guy you would like to at least see them get in the next two drafts. And obviously, depending on what's going to ha- happen with Flacco, then maybe two drafts or three drafts down the road, you're going into the first or first three rounds. Yeah. Right. Yeah. All right. We went into a, l- a lot of detail on Joe Flacco, and I think it's clear that this <laughs> upcoming season, there's a lot of pressure not only on John Harbaugh, but also on Joe Flacco. Um, as Let's look at the defense a little bit, and let's start with uh, – we started at the beginning of the season, like we do every year, with breaking it down the players into five categories. So let's do the same thing with looking at the defense in these five categories of yours, Ken. Okay, so let me a little bit of overhead here is that we we divide them into five categories. They are young producers. Those are your guys on their initial rookie deal who are helping you beat the salary cap. So effectively, these guys are all pretty cheap. Although you know some of them might make first round money, they're all pretty cheap. Second category is your developmental players. Guys on your first contract still, you hope that they can move up into your young producer group, but they're just not there for some performance reason. And we'll go into a little bit of detail on those because each of them is kind of a special individual case worthy of discussion uh, as, as far as where they might go and maybe ultimately if they may stay with the team. Then you have veterans that are playing for market value. And of course, once you get to a certain point, I, I, I'm guessing Brian would agree with this, is that most of your draft value you get from a player really comes during the first four seasons. Because after that, there are some market frictions, but generally speaking, you're paying market value for a player to keep him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So, so anyway, the play, veterans playing for market value, if they're playing up to their market value, that's fantastic. You, you love them, and, and they, they're the cornerstone players of your organization. The next group is the group you don't love, the veteran cap value concerns. They're the people who are really not playing up to their contract value as it is. And the Ravens do have a couple of those on the defensive side right now we'll get into. And then there's a fifth group, which is transitional players. So you have a lot of guys who are hanging around the roster for one reason or another, but they don't really have an obvious future with the team. And we'll talk about those. There's, I have five guys on the Ravens defense who fall into that category. You're, you're always so nice with, with defining that as transitional when I've got much better names for that category. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what it is, right? Um, all right, well, let's stop at the t- start at the top again because the young producers, they're, they're, they're interesting to talk about, but they don't require as much discussion as some of the others. So my six on the Ravens defense right now are Maurice Kennedy, Willie Henry, Marlon Humphrey, Matthew Judon, Michael Pierce, and Tavon Young. And I'm going to go through these r- real quickly here. Maurice Kennedy, uh, terrific second half of the season after coming back from injury, accumulated 295 defensive snaps. Um, Brian, you you look at snap numbers, I know, as well, to get percentage of snaps for various uh, teams and for contract reasons. My, my snap percentages and my snap numbers are going to be slightly different because I don't include penalties. So if you see differences there, that's the reason right, sure. primarily. Um, sure. Okay, so anyway, the, uh, the other players that, that did well, Willie Henry really became the cornerstone of the offense, of the defensive line. He didn't play the first two games. So after that, he led the team in defensive snaps on the line and had 54.1% for the season as a whole, which is, that's an Ironman level for a defensive lineman. They asked a lot of him, 
as the only really viable internal defensive line pass rusher the Ravens have. So uh, he's in the best position of that group right now. Then Marlon Humphrey, uh, obviously I don't think anything needs to be said. He's a number one corner now and one of the best corners, frankly, in the league. And uh, he's the guy we're always talking about putting on the number one receiver for the opposing team. So he's fulfilled his first-round draft status, and we have four more relatively cheap years to enjoy, although he does make first-round money. Matthew Judon uh, had a breakout year in year two. was pretty darn good in year one, but this year I played 72% of the snaps, so we're excited about that. Michael Pierce still at 54% of the snaps. He actually, by a thinnest of margins, led all defensive linemen in snaps 54.4 uh, to 54.1 over Henry. Uh, Pierce was more of a rush defense specialist, though, in 2018. So while I'm happy with who he is and how much he's playing, I think he's giving the Ravens less than they maybe otherwise could get because he really does not provide anything in terms of pass rush at this point. He showed a little more of that as a rookie and, and less in year two. And then the last guy is Tavon Young, who we all hope will be back in 2018, fresh and healthy and as good as he was in 2015, 16, and uh, uh, you know, able to do some of the things that for, at slot corner that we'd hoped he would do in a, uh, this past season. Uh, Brian, anything to say about those players from your perspective in terms of, of their future with the team or any, any kind of contract action they should be taking early? Or where, where are you on those guys? No, I mean, I think they're all, it's, and, you know, the Ravens, for the most part, have, um, you know, not done contracts early, um, depending upon what year they're drafted. When you're drafted, um, you can't do a, re a, re a negotiation anyway until after your third year. Um, so, uh, you know, and, you know, you've, they've always seemed to, if they're going to extend somebody, it's a star. Otherwise, they let them hit free agency and, you know, see where things stand. So I think all of those guys, uh, there's, it's not time. In most cases, Humphrey would be the only guy you're probably looking, Judon maybe, as, as guys you must extend at some point. Um, but they're both uh, obviously in the first and second years of their or contracts are going into the second and third now. So, um, you know, it's too early to do anything with them. So I, you know, I think you're, you got it right. They're the young producers. They're the young cheap producers. I'll leave it at. Right. Yeah. That, that's ex the exciting part with these guys is they don't, they don't cost you much at all. You've got six guys under this young producer category. How does that compare? Do you know about other teams? Is six a good number? Should we be expecting more under there? I'll start by saying I think it's an outstanding number, but more is that not one of these guys is entering year four in 2018. They're all entering pretty much year three. The one guy who is entering year four I didn't include in the category is Darius Smith, and we'll get to him in the developmental category. But basically it's a, it's a terrific group of young producers. Okay. Brian, do you have a sense around the league of does anybody have more defensive talent that this, that's this young in relation to the Ravens? Um. Off the top of my head, I can't think of anybody. I mean, I'm sure there's some teams. I'm, you know, the the Saints obviously had a tremendous draft this past year. Uh, what did they? They got um, the corner. They got a Lattimore. safety, and yeah, Lattimore, and they got a safety in the fourth round. And um, their first four picks were just home runs. Um, so I mean, I would say that certainly, you know, they are they are one that just based on those four. 
Um, you know, I mean, Lattimore's all world already. So, you know, um, so, and obviously those can change year to year, but so I would, I mean, I'm sure there are a couple, but I'm certainly, you know, with the way the couple drafts before the last two had gone, this certainly is a, a very positive sign. Absolutely. So one undrafted player in the group, the rest of them all draft picks. So, you know, they have spent a lot of draft capital on the defensive side. Not 100% of it has worked out, but I would say, generally speaking, they built a very solid core. We ready to move on to the Absolutely. developmental category, Josh? Yeah, yeah, that's exciting. Let's move on. And you said Zazaria Smith just missed out, and he's in your developmental? He is. He, he's, so the developmental group is large, which is also a very nice thing, is that you have a lot of players in that group. Because oftentimes, and on the offense, the, the Ravens have a ton of transitional players that really it's not clear exactly how they fit in. But the, the Ravens have developmental players. Tyus Bowser, Chuck Clark, Carl Davis, Jalen Hill, Stanley Jean-Baptiste, Bronson Kafusi, Patrick Owasso, Zadarius Smith, Tim Williams, and Chris Wormley. So that's 10 guys um, that, that I would consider developmental possibilities for the Ravens and we can we can talk about them individually but I want to start with your favorite guy Tyus Bowser and just to fill you in Brian um Josh bought a Tyus Bowser jersey and he did it with the, the what do they call it the, the special colors I, um, uh the, the Thursday game. the games. color rush color rush yeah there yes you go. yeah the color rush well because he looked outstanding in week two he sure did so that was the game he, he won defensive rookie of the week against the Browns and he ended up playing, he had, I think he had 34 snaps that day, but he only ended up playing 152 for the year. We've been over this a little bit. I'm hoping he's completely out of Harbaugh's doghouse, but he seemed to do a, a stupid thing every couple of weeks for a while that was getting him put back in, and he was coming back and only playing four snaps or seven snaps. Ended with 152. Um, did some things positively, and I think we saw uh, the ability to rush the passer at times, the ability to play the run at times, and the ability to cover at times. And all three of those separately from a Sam linebacker is, of course, what we want to see. Now, he's playing behind Matthew Judon. So the question is, does he end up playing another position effectively, which I, I think I'm against. I really I, I, I have to see somehow that they resolve the positioning between Judon and Bowser so that they can get them both on the field at the same point. Maybe it means Judon rushes from the inside on pass rush downs but or maybe he rushes from the other side sometimes but uh but anyway i'm hoping that bowser can get some some meaningful snaps where he can cover and and rush the passer in this next year jump in anytime brian i i, I don't want to stop you i just want to breathe for a second give you a chance sure. to jump no, in i mean i you know i mean i'm just you know hopefully he's not another one of the second round pick sort of scenarios that we've had too many times but uh, he certainly looks the part, um, and actually, compared to some of the other second-round picks, he, he, his rookie year wasn't as disastrous as some of those were have been. So, I guess we should, um, you know, hopefully uh, hope for the best with him. But it, that is the thing when you draft so many pass rushers over the last couple of years, you do get into the position of well, you got to play this guy. I mean, there's just only so many snaps that can go around and. You know, Tim Williams is on this list, and certainly at the you know at the defensive end with Kafusi and, and Wormley, you've got a, and Carl Davis, you've got a lot of guys there that young guys that you know perhaps it's just a matter of getting some more meaningful snaps here and there, and uh, you know they can they can show their worth. How yeah. how do you develop these guys when you've got better? 
current players that you can put out there ahead of them in live games? Is it just practicing? Is it readjusting? How do you give uh, Bowser a chance to grow? I'll give you three ways. Number one is you got the preseason. So you give them a lot of snaps in the preseason, and it is live action against another team, against players who want to play, even if it's not the best players. Number two, you always have injuries during the regular season. And then number three would be you have practice. That's that's really the ways you have to try and get them some snaps. But uh, eventually it will all come down to injuries. Somebody will get hurt and, you know, part of having depth, and and the Ravens really taxed it at the cornerback position, for example, this last year, is to make sure that you're you're prepared when injuries come up. And remarkably, like never before, the Ravens were prepared for injuries at corner this year and dealt with it, I thought, very well as the season went on to, to have Hill, first of all, take over at the slot and to have uh, Humphrey available to play some snaps at the beginning, then take over for Jimmy entirely with absolutely no fear involved when he did, uh, to have Kennedy available when he came back, to have Hill available for snaps for Webb. Uh, they really did a great job of having players available. I mean, Clark would have been another one for Levine at that point in terms of players who uh, uh, who, who took over. So it's it just injuries are usually the way most opportunity comes in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's kind of, you know, Willie Henry comes along thanks to, you know, injuries on the defensive line early in the season, whether it was Williams being out for a while or, of course, Urban, Urban. getting hurt. So, you know, um, you know, so that that's that's exactly it. And it, they certainly have got a lot of depth there. Um, you just hope when they do, you know, when they do when they are needed, they they come through and show their work. Yeah, it's it, it, it's not like even the guys who were the back at defensive linemen didn't get a chance. Wormley had a 51 snap game against Chicago. It was almost half his snaps for the whole season. He only had 115 for the year. But he, he was able to get a, a good opportunity from injury. So I, I guess I want to go through the list quickly and just make a couple notes on players and let you guys chime in, and then we'll move on to the, to the next segment here. But uh, Chuck Clark, I thought, played well as a backup dime to Levine, ended up getting 50 snaps on the year, and I think we've got a legitimate backup player there in the secondary who like, and he's a very fine special teams player. So definitely Aussie mold of drafting a sixth-round dime dime back who can also play special teams. He's, so many of them through the years, he's gotten in exactly that round with Nakamura and Chad Williams. Uh, Corey Harris was a cheapie as well. Jerome Sapp comes to mind. Uh, Anthony Mitchell. So they, they all came by this, this uh, sixth-round or lower uh, selection, and Clark's a match for that. Uh, Carl Davis we'll yeah. talk about briefly. So he, he played 27.2% of the snaps uh this this last year 281 snaps he's just does not have a lot of opportunity either because his only real role is to play as the third defensive lineman in a standard set so when you have four corners on the field that's when you have your standard set with three defensive linemen and then four linebackers as well and it's really the only time he gets in the game he never plays really as one of the two guys anymore at least he does not do that often and so his his opportunity is sort of limited he's coming up on his fourth year I don't think he's in any danger of being cut this year, but I think that the Ravens are probably going to end up letting him walk and seeing with what some of the young players can do, you know, in 2019. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah, I think you're the last two um, certainly at uh, worst solid, nice solid depth. Um, you know, Davis was the third round pick, so you maybe like him to see a little more than that. Um, but yeah, I mean, those two are, are right there. Is 
I mean, obviously you can't start everybody, but when somebody gets hurt, you want somebody who can contribute, and certainly Clark with special teams uh, certainly seems to uh, definitely fit that role very well. Yeah. Okay, well, Jalen Hill was the MVP of the preseason last year, uh, and he was effective in eight snaps in the second half versus the Vikings, but he only played 15 defensive snaps all year, and then he had a very significant injury come up, which probably is going to cost him to miss some of 2018. So he may be a mid-year reinforcement. Now, Brian, I'm sure you could agree with me that that's not all bad to have a mid-year reinforcement you know is coming back. No, absolutely, and that's, you know, it, from from a cap perspective, too, you've got, it, it's nice to have that, that guy in reserve, uh, guy, could he, cause, because he's undrafted, you actually play at a lesser salary, so for instance, if he starts on PUP, let's just say he's on PUP for the first eight games of the season, he's a little cheaper while you're, because you're essentially carrying an extra guy there, because he's not on the 53, uh, but he is cheaper, and then, of course, when he's ready, um, if you've got to cut somebody, then you, you save money based on the rest of the, the rest of the season for that guy. So um, it's always nice to have that guy, and, you know, certainly it was nice when Canada came back this year uh, late later in the year when he was needed. So um, especially with young guys, they, you know, they get, they get a little stronger, um, and if they're coming off of injury, they, you, they, you got a little time to get them back up to 100% before having to possibly throw him in. Yep. It's, it's a, a cornerback is a position where there's so many injuries in the NFL too, to have staged a staged roster where you're not having to carry the guy as an inactive is also an advantage. It's just, it's a roster spot in addition to the cap space that I'm, I'm really cool with. Um, so sure. the next, next guy, another cornerback on the team that there was a, a conflicting piece of information. I need to make sure I have correct. Stanley Jean Baptiste is a guy the Ravens picked up, and and effectively they picked him up so that they'd have him for next year, added him to the roster, and he never did play a snap at corner. I'm not exactly sure who he is as a player right now, but the Ravens obviously like him. So the question is this: Is Baptiste you list as an uh, exclusive rights free agent? So maybe you can explain what that is. And second of all, he's listed as a third-year player for the Ravens, which would make that his last ERFA year, as I understand it. And I thought he'd be ending and entering an RFA year. But clear that up for us, if you would. Yeah, um, the, 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 the numbers the Ravens on the Ravens' website as far as t- years, he was drafted three years ago. Actually, I think he was a high draft pick. He might have been a second- or third-round draft pick going to say the saints but i could be wrong about that um so and he he uh, he did i don't he didn't even make the second year with them if i remember correctly so he's bounced around so while he's he's played in the league for three years he did he has not accrued enough service time during those three years to advance to be a restricted free agent basically you have to be on a team um for six games in in that year to get what is called an accrued season and then once you have three accrued seasons you're a restricted free agent unless you're uh, on a rookie contract and then you've obviously if you've never been released before on a rookie contract then you have a fourth year on your contract but so restricted free agents are guys that have been that they they can reach that point are guys that have been cut or undrafted free agents um so that that's what his situation is so 
he's uh, one of those years he did not have enough he did not get six games on any team in that year so he basically lost a year which is why he's an exclusive rights free agent still which basically means he can't negotiate he's not really a free agent he and the ravens have his exclusive rights so if they tender him he's theirs okay all right i'm looking at baptiste on profootballreference.com here and this is incredible the guy has had 16 transactions already involving him since the Saints drafted him, not including his draft, which is actually in 2014. 2015, 2016, he didn't have any action on a regular season, but he's bounced around New Orleans, Detroit, Seattle, Kansas City, Jacksonville, and now Baltimore, uh, where he also played a game in 2017. So quite a journey for, for uh, SJB here. Yeah. The, well, I guess he, it's you know he was he was thought enough to be a second round talent, so teams are willing to give him a, another time to see if the light bulb will come on. But so far, obviously, it hasn't happened. No, no. All right, well, let's move on. We've got uh, Bronson Kafusi is the next name. Uh, all kinds of stuff about his older entry into the draft at age 24, I believe it was. And so Kafusi is now, i got to check his age again, but I want to say he's 27. Could be wrong about that. Oh, let's see. But he was, about not having sponsors. Go right. ahead. No, I was just going to say, but he was a guy that Harbaugh mentioned wasn't, wasn't playing very physical. That's right. That's right. So physicality was something that kept, as, as apparently kept him off the field. And usually when Harbaugh, a lot, a lot of things are coach speak, but when Harbaugh has something nasty to say about a player, he's usually, you could take that as, as pretty much gospel. Yeah, if he's said it to the media, he's already said it to the player six or seven times, I'm assuming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, anyway, he only ended up paying 31 snaps. A lot of those came in that first loss at Pittsburgh when they gave up all the rushing yards, and that was, I think, where some of that came in. He played 21 snaps. I remember 18 of them were rush snaps in that game, so that was the bulk of his playing time. Since then, he just had two games of five snaps each. So, you know, it's interesting because Kafusi is a guy, again, trapped without a position because the Ravens have other options at the five-tech, and you, we've mentioned Wormley or the possibility of of having a player like um, uh, Carl Davis be there on, on some snaps, depending on what you're, what you're doing. Um, but, but the other position that Kafusi came as a draft uh, uh, you know, possibility was that outside linebacker, was that he could play standing up perhaps. Uh, he might be too big for that, but it's, but it's interesting to think of him as either a 4-3 end or an outside linebacker, and, and what could he bring to the team in, that would be different in that way. Yeah, this is one of those situations that kind of reminds me of Paul Kruger when they drafted him, um, and, and they, you know, they at one point they said Kruger was going to be the three-four end, and then obviously later in his career they they, they let him play linebacker. So, uh, you know, you get these guys when it, when you're in this three-four base sometimes that they seem like a great guy because they could do both, but it turns out they can do neither. Um, Kruger finally figured it out, of course, in his contract year. Um, let, let's kind of hope Kafusi figures it out before his contract year. Yeah, I, I, I would, I'd be fine with Kruger-like development at this point because Kruger in 2011 was actually a pretty good situational pass rusher. And if that was all we got out of Kafusi, plus a 12-sack year in his fourth year, sign me up for that yeah, program right that's now. True. <laughs> yeah, with the, depth, with the depth they have around, that's true. 
So anyway, we'll move on a little bit here. Patrick Owasso um, uh, has, does not have ideal size for a linebacker. That's the nicest thing I can say about it. He is smallish for the position at 6'0", 217. Um, he showed some of the same traits we saw it out of Zach Orr in terms of a willingness to throw his body around in the run game, which is nice. But I don't think he's particularly instinctive, and that's, again, being nice as a coverage linebacker. I don't think he's a guy who knows what spot to go to, although he's faster than Correa. Correa was more instinctive in coverage about knowing where he, where he uh, needed to go. Where Correa really broke down was in a, a lack of willingness to throw his body around in the run game. I think that's really why he lost the job to Owasu this year. But anyway, I'd be very surprised if the Ravens do not draft an inside linebacker to compete with Patrick and Bam Bradley possibly coming back and possibly a free agent signing as well, an inside linebacker. The Ravens got by, and they squeaked through this year with scary slim inside linebacker depth. Yeah, and they, they thankfully stayed pretty healthy there, um, other than Bam Bradley going out, who was getting rave reviews during camp. And I did see just earlier this week, I think it was, Jeff Jerebeck of the Sun was saying that he he was kind of a dark horse guy. He did expect, I think he said he expected they would draft somebody, as you said, but that Bam Bradley would have probably played ahead of peanut if bradley had stayed healthy and at least continued showing you know what he what he had shown during camp right well he was he was active he was on the roster to start that season was just playing special teams with correa and owasso splitting those snaps but i agree with with jeff that i think bam bradley showed more and has more prototype line prototypical ilb size and i think he's 237 if I recall, mm -hmm. to be playing the run more effectively. And the Ravens have to play a lot of run in the nickel. And when you do that, you only have two outside linebackers. And now the Ravens have you know, an outside linebacker who doesn't necessarily hold the edge all that well and two um, uh, defensive interior guys who are both pretty big. Um, but it's Mosley and Owasu or Bradley, whoever that second inside linebacker to, have to really cover the run plays on those first two downs. And, and while Brandon Williams was out, you know, the Ravens just showed how exposed they were at not being able to yeah. stop the run in those situations. Absolutely, yeah. Those, those couple games were, and the last game of the year, for whatever reason, too, were, were just not very Raven-like when it comes to uh, protecting against the run. Yeah, it's definitely true. We we talked about that one last week, so I don't really want to get in too well, but they definitely, the Bengals really figured out how to get Brandon Williams blocked up on that first drive and did, a unfortunately, a marvelous job in that first touchdown drive that set the tone. Right. On your developmental yeah. list, uh, you've got Zedaria Smith, who played almost half of the snaps this season, but he's still under this development section? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's a good point, Josh. I mean, the problems with Zedarius are... That he is in a, playing at a very competitive position. So he's a rush linebacker, really, and so he has to take snaps away from Terrell Suggs. Well, Terrell Suggs ain't giving up snaps. He's, he's playing at a high level. Uh, you know, the Ravens want him to be playing. Something tells me that Terrell is not the kind of player who's going to go easily into this night. Like, I thought Lodarius Webb did a wonderful job of giving up his job this year. I don't think it's going to be, I don't think it's going to be as easy for Terrell to do it. I think he'll try and be an elder statesman. I just think it's going to be very hard for for when it happens. Um, but anyway, Zedarius, it's it he in order to get the kind of snaps he has, he had to rush from the inside on pass rush downs, which meant he and and uh, 
Henry are lining up as down linemen effectively, and that's, I think, reduced his pass rush effectiveness. And despite that, I thought they got pretty good pass rush performance out of Zadarius in the second half of the season, including a, a long string of very productive quarterback hits and sacks, um, mostly quarterback hits there, that, that included a number of turnovers. So anyway, I've, I'm, I'm kind of bullish on Zadarius, and I, I'd like to hear Brian's opinion on whether or not you think there's a chance that he will get a contract after year four, that he, that he might be a player that they can find at the right salary level. Yeah, I mean, he. you wonder, you know, and obviously it depends on what kind of sack numbers he puts up next year. Um, you wonder if he falls into, um, and it, I just lost the name, the, guy, the, the guy that signed with the Bears from, you're right, with McPhee, whether, now McPhee seemed to have, uh, was more prolific pass rusher, and, and he, but he would, took that inside rush spot, and I mean, he certainly put up in his last two years some decent sack numbers, and he certainly got a very healthy contract. Uh, with Zedarius, uh, I, you know, I don't know that he'll get that kind of contract. Um, he, you know, he'll certainly get something out there, and if, whether it's from the Ravens, I guess, will largely depend on what Tim Williams and, and Bowser do over the next season, um, whether, or Wormley, whether Wormley can move into that inside pass rush area um, you know, and handle that role. That makes Zedarius not as uh, not as important. So um, he may be a guy they can you know get another uh, another shorter term contract out of if he doesn't put up monster numbers and they feel they need him. Um, but you, you, I guess in a way you kind of hope that the the other guys show up over the next year so that you can let him walk and you get a comp pick out of him or at least have him qualify for the uh, the, the calculation to to offset somebody you sign. Yeah, I mean, I think that it may honestly be the best they can do. And again, uh, if they sign him up for the Paul Kruger Development Program right now, that'd probably be okay, although Zadarius has played at a level higher than Kruger did in his third season already. So uh, anyway, right. one more year to go. If it's a 12-sack year, sign me up for that, even if we lose him. But Pernell McPhee, right. you mentioned him. Just broke my heart to lose him because he drove that 2014 pass rush. The incredible pass rush numbers that were put up on the outside, but both Doomerville and Suggs that year, completely driven by the inside presence of McPhee and his ability to get through a double team. Not, not just usually take that first step and get shoulders turned, which is fantastic. That's all we really need out of, out of, out of that inside pass rush guy is, is somebody like Jernigan did a lot to, to be able to get shoulders turned on both sides, create pass rush opportunities via stunt, via a delayed blitz from a linebacker, uh, even to create the one-on-one -on -one opportunity next to him with a little bit more space is, is often good enough. But McPhee actually could beat those double teams as well, and that's why he was such a hot commodity. And, and uh, unfortunately, like... Uh, Kaleshi Assembly was somebody the Ravens were not going to be able to re-sign. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so we mentioned, we talked about Tim Williams a little bit. He played 119 snaps this year, just 11.5% of the, of the snaps. The fact that he could not get on the field and make more of an impact is disappointing because he is the best pure pass rusher, I believe, that the Ravens have. Uh, ahead of Zadarius, ahead of even Terrell Suggs at this point in terms of what he brings physically to the position. So hopefully, uh, you know, building up more to the NFL level in terms of size 
will be a positive. But he's got all the quickness I think he needs right now to make inside or outside moves. He displayed a nice spin move in the preseason. Um, you know, certainly a guy that I that I I hope the Ravens get much better things out of and much sooner than than some other people would say. Could be still a terrific value pick for the Ravens. Oh yeah, absolutely. And if he, if I think it was the Cleveland game towards the end, didn't he go around Joe Thomas like and just like Thomas was standing still um, and sacked the quarterback? I think it was the Cleveland game. It was again yes. a very good tackle. Yeah, it was uh, week two against Cleveland, game, and it was just yeah, it was just a thing of beauty. And I mean, I was thinking we're going to see a ton of that the rest of the year. Unfortunately, we didn't. But uh, I think, as you said, I think some size will be. I mean, that's that's got to be his his off season goal is to add that ten pounds or so, um, so that he can just you know that he can bang around a little and not just use his speed, but um, you know work on his moves where he can bull rush a little more. I mean, that was always the amazing thing I always thought about Doomerville. As small as he was, his bull rush was just incredible, and then he had the speed to go along with it. So it really put the uh, the tackles at a disadvantage because he could take them either way. Yeah, the sm- smaller pass rushers, and James Harrison and Dumerville are probably the best two examples in recent years, they really know how to use their size and leverage underneath the pads. So, I mean, they, 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 they go around the edge, they get holding penalties all the time because they've always got somebody, some left tackle's left arm around their neck <laughs> as, they're, as they're turning the edge. Yeah, and, uh, yeah it's, it's, uh, it's good to see. And, and Dumerville certainly was a – he ended up being a pretty damn good signing. Even though he was signed for five years, that's what you hope to get, isn't it, Brian? I mean, a couple of good years, and especially when, if when one is a top-shelf year the way it was, uh, they really got value out of, out of Elvis, I thought. Yeah, if you get three years out of a five-year contract, then you can generally deal with whatever dead money is there, there that's there now. Contract, uh, quarterback contracts, notwithstanding. But for every for most other players, yeah, I mean that's what you're looking for, especially when you're signing a guy who's a little, you know, who's starting to hit thirty or approaching thirty. If you can get three out of five, you're you're, you're happy with it. Okay, so we've we, we've gotten to the end of the developmental section. We talked a little bit about it warmly. I think we've hit on everything important with him. Josh, is there any questions you have, or did you want to uh, talk about anything else regarding developmental players or favorites of yours? No, I'm okay with the development players. I'm uh, I'm excited to move on to these veterans, the guys that really have to live up to their paycheck in order for this team to win. Well, there you go. And, and so I've got six in that category. I, well, I don't know how many I have in that category. I'll just read off the names. Brandon Carr. Anthony Levine, C.J. Mosley, Jimmy Smith, Terrell Suggs, Brent Urban, although he's now a free agent, Eric Weddle, Brandon Williams. That's actually eight guys. That's a that's a fairly large group, and that's, I think, indicative of a team that's spending a fair amount on their starting defense that you would have that many guys in this category. But fortunately, most of them are in this category and not in the cap value concern. Without us spending a ton of time on this, Brandon Carr is obviously one guy who is a potential cut? What what is what are your thoughts on that, Brian? I mean, um, obviously, early in the year he was playing fantastically, and you wouldn't have thought that was a possibility. But as the year went on, he seemed to wear down, or, or get exposed, or just targeted, or whatever it was. Um, I, I certainly think he's he's a possibility. Um, I I'm I'm cautious though. Uh, to say that because right now Jimmy Smith is coming off of injury. He, he, Jimmy Smith, and he's on the list too. 
his numbers are such that it's uh, it's unlikely he would be cut. Um, so, uh, and of course, if he's if he is cut, then Carr is definitely coming back. Um, so I think, and then you've got Tavon Young coming off of injury, and Jalen Hill coming off of injury, and, and Carr's just he's not that expensive uh, as far as a, a starting corner goes. So I would think he's I would think he stays. Um, I think he provides, especially if well, I was going to say if Smith could stay healthy for a year, but Carr provides as a number two or a three at this point if Humphrey keeps coming. Um, I think he's, I think from a price standpoint, he's worth having around because if it is Humphrey and, and Jimmy Smith starting the year as your starters, you know, we know how Jimmy Smith is and God forbid something happened to Humphrey, you'd like to have a veteran guy like that that you could plug in. Yeah, it, it, it is pretty solid to have Brandon Carr as your, as your third outside corner. He's, he's a, he meets the aircraft carrier standard. Uh, he actually was surprising. They moved him into the slot a number of times this year, uh, which was surprising when they had Smith, Humphrey, and Carr all in the game. Carr was moving inside to play slot corner. Uh, it's it's. I look at next year and I think, uh, as it'll play out to start the year, I believe it's going to be Humphrey and Kennedy on the outside with the likelihood of Tavon Young being back in the slot. And I think that's actually the best case situation with Jimmy taking taking his time getting back from the injury or maybe not being at full strength, that they're okay letting him be the guy who takes a third of the snaps instead of two-thirds of the snaps on the outside to start the year. Um, maybe they bring him in on third downs. Maybe they play him rotationally the way they did this year. But I, I would really like to see Kennedy on the outside where his size is really more appropriate to that position than in the slot. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And if, you know, if you can extend uh, by by starting him slowly, if you can somehow get the full year out of Jimmy Smith, that would be fantastic because that means by the end of the year he should be, you know, top flight and it probably back to your your number one corner, hopefully, which would mean, you know, if if, uh, if everybody, if Humphrey's progressed as well, then you're looking pretty darn good at your, at your starting corners. And if Kennedy's right there and, and uh, Carr in the wings, then you're, I think you're in really great shape. Yeah, that, uh, that certainly sounds very strong. And, uh, we, you know, unfortunately, last year, this time with the, with the plethora of injuries they had in OTAs and early in camp, with regard to cornerbacks, and it looked like this was an unsalvageable year in the secondary in a lot of ways, but then they kept coming up with these UDFA guys, and with the return of Kennedy, who I don't think a lot of people had any, had any significant hope for, and I, I was highly skeptical of Kennedy's ability to move into the slot. I don't know about you, Brian, but that was something I did not think was a natural fit for him, and yet he played very well there. Yeah, he did. He, he really did, and um, I mean, when he was drafted, there was talk about him being more of a safety type, but uh, certainly what we saw last year, uh, you know, he looks more like a full-on corner than sort of your hybrid kind of guy that could that's a corner but's probably supposed to be a safety. Um, mm-hmm. he, he looked nothing like that kind of player. Yeah, and uh, you go to the last play of the year, he definitely looked nothing like a safety, unfortunately. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> this is true. This is true. Uh, all right, I want to only hit on one other player here. Maybe we can hit on two, but but let's start with Brent Urban on this list. And what do you think the Ravens are going to end up being able to do with him? 
You know, that he's an interesting case because obviously three of his four years were pretty much lost to injury. Um, and But he was certainly looked like a, a top-flight guy to the second half of last year and certainly the beginning of this year, camp and everything. He looked, uh, you know, absolutely bona fide starter. So, um, you know, he might be a guy that if there's – I mean, if there isn't a lot of interest around the league, I, I could certainly see him being back, maybe just a one-year deal, you know, hope to pick it, hopefully for him he picks up, you know, where he left off in September and has a great year and then can hit the free agent market the following year and get his big payday. Um, I would think, you know, um, if, for him as opposed to taking just some middling three-year uh, three deal, that would make a lot more sense. Um, I'd like to see that happen here. He's... He, he, he sounds like he's a guy that, you know, a good team player works his rear end off. So, um, you know, obviously this, this partly depends on Kafusi and what they think with Kafusi and Wormley, but there was, you know, there's room for all of them unless they draft another guy in the third or fourth round. So um, I would think, you know, that would be a guy that you would look to see if you can get back and say, look, you know, we're going to plug you right back into where you were and, um, you know, and you can make a lot of money the following year playing in this defense. What, what would a what one I'm year sure he thought was going to happen? Yeah, what would a one-year contract look um, like for Urban? He would because he's coming off of injury. There'd probably be some incentives in it. Um, you know, I, it's hard to say because I I can't because he's been injured so much. I'm not sure how much of a market there will be. Uh, I know it obviously only takes one team to say that that guy's you know, a comer and we're going to, we're going to, you know, we're going to get him before anybody else does it. We're going to, we're going to offer him a little more than everybody else. Cause, cause we think we can plug him in and he's going to be, he's going to be that guy. Um, I, you know, they could get him for his, uh, they could get him for kind of like an Anthony Levine deal, a couple million over, uh, you know, a little over a million for the year with some incentives. Um, if, if it's a couple year deal, maybe a, I don't know, five million, six million, maybe over a three-year deal. Um, it's kind of hard to say because I just, you know, it, it is. It's going to be hard for a team to have a lot of faith in him, though, because he's had so many injuries. Right. It's it's uh, it's really sad to say because it's just it's just one step on a football field to, to us and looking at it, and an injury is certainly serious, but. You know, it might have cost him twenty million dollars in terms of of what yeah, he might have done in a contract. Yeah. So, okay, well, I think we talked a, a little bit about the players played for market value. They're not getting rid of Weddle. They're not getting rid of Williams. Suggs has got at least another year. We're excited about that. Mosley isn't going anywhere, but he might be signed to a long term deal. We could talk about that. Or that or would be year. yeah, yeah. Well, that would be uh, with Mosley when we when we were touching on the three ways you create cap space. He's got um, he's playing under what is called the fifth year option of his rookie contract, which is basically kind of like a, a mini franchise tag. It, since the first round draft picks, when the with the new CBA, you know, it took a huge bite out of rookie contracts. This allows them to make a decent amount back. So uh, his his uh, his fifth year option, uh, which they of course they exercise, is about nine million. Um, there's no dead money because his, he's out. Technically, he's out of his rookie contract, um, so all the prorations are done with that. So the, his cap number is all salary, which is a great place to pick up 
four, five, six million in cap space on an mm-hmm. extension. This is what they did with Jimmy Smith when he reached his fifth year option. Um, they've had, uh, well, they, Elam would have been the next one after Jimmy, and of course they didn't pick that up. Um, so this would, this would seemingly be, um, you know, the place to, to get a nice chunk of change and not, I mean, and obviously then you secure your, your middle linebacker for, for years to come. So, uh, it seems like a win-win deal. Um, because they're tight against the cap, it does provide Mosley perhaps with a little more leverage um, because they're, it's some, it's, that's one of the spots they're probably going to need to get something done. Um, so hopefully, but hopefully they can come to a, a number that works for everybody. But like I said, that's a four to six million dollar probably cap savings. So that's a huge deal right there. All has, right. has Mosley lived up to expectations, or do you, I, a lot of fans look at Mosley as a disappointment? But I kind of feel like he had to fill in for Ray Lewis. It was a hard, hard choose to fill, uh, coming in right behind him. Has, I, I'll, I'll take a crack at that first, Josh, and then we'll, we'll give Brian a shot at that next. I, I think Mosley was clearly hurt this year and didn't play up to his current contract level, let alone his you know the contract level he'll be expecting going forward. Um, one of the things that they asked him to do that schematically I think did not work is Pease had a lot of double-A gap blitz setups, which put him in a position where his job is to really cut down on a window by dropping into his own coverage. And if the throw is over top of him, which it often was, the, the, he has to try and cut down on that window. And mostly he's pretty good about understanding where the play is behind him and has had some nice interceptions where a ball's been underthrown and and tipped up but i think the rest of the league is actually kind of wise to that and they know to target him and to throw over him and again it's this kind of thing where if you've ever watched a penalty kick in soccer you realize just how hard it is for the for the goalie to stop any ball it's just if it's not basically at about three feet of height and to his left or right within diving range he can't really stop that ball. And that's kind of where an inside linebacker is in terms of being able to really stop the passing game. So I don't think Mosley was as bad in coverage as other people think, but I do think his injuries actually really held him back in the run game this year. That's where I, I wasn't happy with CJ in terms of penetrating it through gaps to make plays. And Brian, what would you have to add to that? Yeah, I mean, as far as him being a disappointment, I don't think there's any way I would classify him as that. I think he's Certainly, I think he was 16th in the draft. I mean, I think he certainly lived up to that over his four years. Um, so I certainly have no complaints there. The question then becomes what kind of money is he looking for on a long-term deal or what kind of money would he be looking for as a free agent next year? Is he looking? And, I mean, you know, you can always say he doesn't deserve top of the market. Or you can say this about just about any player other than Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. But, you know, I mean, you, you know, is he deserving top-of-the-market money? Well, most free agents don't. <laughs> They're just – it's just – it's their turn. Um, I mean, did, you know, did Flacco deserve to be the highest-paid quarterback in the league? No. But he won a suit. He was coming off of a Super Bowl, and it was his turn, and he bet on himself. So, uh, you know, it, it when people say that, I, I kind of cringe a little because – it's it's just that's not the way the system works. The next guy up, uh, if he's a if he's in the top echelon, and um, you can you know what we, how you define that is it, beauty's in the eyes of the beholder. There, I guess, but you know the, the next guy up is the guy the next guy up for either a contract or as a free agent. 
you know, he's going to set the market or move up or push the market up, even if he's not the the best player or, or you know, at that position. So, you know, he's going to get paid handsomely, whether it's here or somewhere else. Um, I don't think there's any question about that. So, I mean, from a cap perspective, or for, and, you know, the prices always go up. So that's just that's just the way it is. But I certainly don't think he's a disappointment. Is he the best middle linebacker, inside linebacker in the game? No. Is he in the top 10? Probably. Certainly top 12. I mean, you know, again, beauty's in the eye of the beholder there. But he's going to be paid probably like a top 10. Yeah, I, I'm sure he'll be paid as a top 10. The question is, is is it okay if he makes the third highest money in the game, or should the Ravens really be holding out so he only makes the sixth highest money in the game? Because by the end of this contract, he's going to be cheap. If he's if he comes in at number exactly. three or number six, he's going to be cheap by the end of that contract. Right, as long as he stays healthy. That I mean, that's and people complain about Brandon Williams' contract, but obviously we we you know we saw what what the defense looked mm-hmm. like without him, with him and without him. Um, now, could they have found the guy that could have done what he did for less? Maybe, but you know, as you said, you know, and, and Brandon Williams has been a you know other than those couple games has been a pretty healthy guy over the life of his career. Uh, by the time you know that th- that contract is done. He's he's not going to be the highest paid anymore, the second highest paid, or probably the fifth or eighth highest paid. Sure, sure. All right. Um, well, let's move on to these guys that we need to be concerned about the the veteran guys that are maybe making too much money. So I only I only have two guys in this category, Josh, uh, Tony Jefferson and Lardarius Webb. Uh, at mid season, when we did the same list, I had Eric Weddle in there too, but. As the second half rolled through, Dean Pease used each of those players more in what is their best role or or hmm, their better role. So Weddle playing on the back end exclusively really was an improvement of them. He's too small to be playing up near the line of scrimmage. He was getting killed in the Pittsburgh game in particular uh, against Chicago with the missed tackle that caused the long run. Um, it really hurt not to have him on the back end. On the last play of the year, it hurt not to have him on the back end. Uh, you know, being defending two receivers and, and having the sticks, I don't think we'd have had the same. I don't think we'd have had a touchdown anyway. It might have been a completion, but I don't think it would have been a touchdown if Weddle was on the back end on that play. So I think he was fine, but but Tony Jefferson, um, Pease never really adapted to what he did well in Arizona, which was to come up and cover the tight end man to man. He did cover. He did. Um, support the run game in a way that we would have hoped and that he was rated from PFF and others as having a very high run grade. Um, but it, but it was this was not a, uh, a guy who produced a lot on the back end for the Ravens. And particularly early in the year, they had him in that position. And it's just it, he's a fish out of water there. So they need to find a way to change his role, perhaps substitute in a, a pure back end safety on early downs. I'm not exactly sure what the situation needs to be, but Tony Jefferson covering the tight end is what, what really made him valuable in 2016 before the Ravens got him. Okay. Yeah, I would, I would agree. Uh, yeah, I would say, um, well, Jefferson, he was the guy I thought, um, was the, he was the first free agent in I don't know how long, maybe ever in, in, in Ozzie's tenure or career, which is obviously the whole time the Ravens have been here, but he was the first guy who was just out of his first contract that we paid big money for. 
Um, you know, we always had success with wide receivers, the Masons, the the Boldens, which was a trade, but you know, the Steve Smiths, but Jefferson, I was was the guy. I was like, they just went out and paid a top of the market young free agent. Hopefully, he returns that investment over the next couple of years if they find a better way to you know to, to use him. Um, uh, Tony Lombardi um, had a has a source in the Ravens who said who before he was in before there was really whispers that Je- that they were going to sign Jefferson said we got a guy that we are super excited about um and so you know that was Jefferson and so that just you know I, they went out and got you know they went out and just went after this guy uh, you know as soon as the market opened and got this guy and I just thought uh, that he was going to be way more than he turned out to be. And I like the fact that they went and got a guy in his prime. And if you're going to mm-hmm. get a guy in his prime and you're going to pay him top dollar, you certainly hope he earns it, but you expect him to earn it. Um, and I just hope they can find a way to, wh- whether it's just, you know, getting used to a new system or who knows what the, the system will be with, with Martindale now, but uh, just find a way to, you know, to, to fit him in, so that that contract or, or or that that idea of let's go get somebody at the top of the market and really pay for them because uh, we believe in them. I don't want that to I don't want that thought to go away now because they feel like they got burned, sort of like the Orioles with you know starting pitching. Right, there we go again. Um, yep, yep. So um, and the other guy you got on the list is Ladarius Webb, and uh, Ladarius Webb has always been one of my favorite Ravens, but I think his his tenure is done. Um, there's, there's a decent amount of cap savings. It's not huge, but, um, you know, they can, they can, they can save some money off of his release. Um, I, by the end of the year, obviously he wasn't playing much. You expect, uh, Jimmy Smith back. You expect young back Hill back. And, and certainly, uh, Chuck Clark was, was actually playing some, um, snaps in front of him. So, uh, been a great soldier for him. Another guy that unfortunately injuries took too much time away from him, from what he could have been perhaps. But uh, you know, just one of my favorite Ravens always. But I do think that this is this is this was his last hurrah. Yeah, well, I I, I agree with you. It probably is his last hurrah, and he and I thought he took it pretty well going out on his way out. But the other thing about Lardarius Webb is to remember what a great player this guy was in his prime. They talked all year about Jimmy Smith and his passer rating against, and it, was, it ended up being around 49, I think, for the year. Lardarius Webb in 2011 was the best cornerback in the game, and including the postseason, had a quarterback rating against of 42 with zero touchdowns, and I want to say it was seven interceptions, including the postseason, but it might have even been eight. And it's just one of those years for the ages. It's by far the best year ever by a Ravens corner, including all of Chris McAllister and Starks' career. And, you know, he is one of my favorites of all time as well. I was super excited to get him originally, even more excited when they got him re-signed to the big money deal after 2011. And then, of course, that didn't work out. But uh, but he is one of my favorite Ravens. And, I, and Brian, I'm, I'm guessing you loved that contract, too, at the time when it was signed. Oh, it was, a, it was a great deal. That was one. That was a guy that he was a restricted free agent because that's the way the contracts were back then. And uh, it was uh, his rookie deal was three years, and they they signed him early, which uh, they didn't wait and let him try to hit free agency. And uh, it was, I mean, it was a reasonably good deal. It, you know, obviously once he got hurt and hurt again, it didn't look like such a great deal. But 
Uh, at the time, I, there were no qualms about it, uh, there, and there shouldn't have been, certainly. Right. All right, let's get to the last category, the guys that should not return as Ravens that you kindly call the transitional category. Okay, well, I'm not saying that none of these will return. In fact, I think there's one key guy who will return out of this. I'm just not sure if he's got a job. But my five guys in the transitional category, Brandon Boykin, who I'm not even sure has ever put on a Ravens uniform. Not true. I saw him in camp. He actually was. But he's playing through some significant injuries, and I don't think he'll be back in any form. In fact, I think he's probably, this is his last chance to make a team in the NFL, given what's happened to him over the last few years with several different organizations. Um, Bam Bradley, who could compete for an inside linebacker job in theory, but uh, is coming off a very significant injury. The Ravens are going to have to make a draft pick at inside linebacker. So I think it's less clear that he's even going to have a developmental opportunity, and it's more likely that he'll be a special teams player for the Ravens who can help them. If an injury were to happen to come, you know, we'll be happy to have him on the roster, but I'm but I, 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 I not generally going to believe that he's going to be an impactful player for the Ravens. Um, Kemalak Kure is in this group. He just does not have a position at this point. Uh, that's the main problem. Is if if he can play outside linebacker, uh, there's five guys doing it. If he can play inside linebackers, the Ravens are in a position where they absolutely must make a move. And I just don't see him being part of the plans at either of those positions. Played pretty well on special teams. Probably will finish his Ravens career there. Um, Brian, what can you tell me about the guaranteed money on Correa's contract? Is he going to stick around for four years automatically, or do they have a cut value coming year four? No, he's 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 clear of guaranteed money at this point. So, um, you know, I mean, so they can they can cut him at any time. There's there's not a I guess he's got let's see, he's got about a million dollars worth of uh, dead money between this year and next year. Uh, is this year's cap numbers one point five million? So. I mean, you're not. There's not a huge. If they cut him this year, there's only about five hundred thousand in savings. So, I mean, he's not a from a cap perspective that that doesn't. I mean, he's going to make the roster, what based on how he fits into the roster or whether he fits into the roster. So, they're they're not going to be afraid to cut him, but they're not going to. They're not. There's no cap savings there to to push them in the direction of cutting him. So he's a merit guy. Does he does he merit a spot on the fifty three or not? Yeah, we don't really talk about this often, Brian, or we haven't at least tonight. But in terms of option value, I look at that very significantly for players during their first four years. And a player actually has his most option value as a rookie. But as he gets towards that, that the end of that fourth year, when he no longer can be paid under the market value, the option value kind of decreases each year. And so if you, you, yes. you want to hold your option for as long as possible, and then if the guy does become a star, you still have the frictional value of him staying with the organization through either a franchise tender, possibly, for the restricted free agent, uh, possibly, or just the fact that he might not want to move, and he's comfortable within the system, he knows he's played well in this system, he, you know, he might not want to leave the team. So I think there are organizational frictions that, that, that help with that. But anyway, Kamalai Correa, going into his third year next year, his option value is starting to wane. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, and then Albert McClellan, long-term favorite of, uh, around here. Unfortunately, you know, McClellan has confused me so many times with his ability to be the Joe Orsalak of this team, a guy who can just come in and play almost any position, or B.J. Surhoff maybe is a better example along that line. Uh, he could come back, and he could be the fill-in guy at outside linebacker when the Ravens really need a guy who can stop the run if Suggs went down, or he could be that guy at inside linebacker if the Ravens just can't find anybody that works. 
and they need somebody to be a two-down run stuffer and can then depend on the dime defense for more snaps than they have in this last year. It would not shock me if Albert did any of that. But on the other hand, he's fairly expensive special teams talent. Yeah, I think, um, I, I mean, he's under contract, So, and, and but there is, I mean, it's not a huge savings, but there's a little over a million dollars in savings if he's released. So um, for a team that's, that's going to be probably looking for trying to find every place they can find cap space, um, it, it, you know, and with his intended role probably to be just special teams, well, there you got a Bam Bradley maybe, um, you know, that would fill that role for on, you know, as a, a, a minimum deal uh, that he's on. Um, and, I, you know, again, if they're going to, you know, we expect them to draft an inside linebacker. So, you know, that, that means McClellan's chance on the field is probably even less. Um, so I, I would think he's probably a consideration. They could, you know, they could cut him his, his, his salary, plus he's got some incentives that he could eventually earn if he plays a lot. But I could see him being a guy, you know, his $1.45 million salary. They could cut him, um, save the money now. If they want to re-sign him in June or July, there's a good chance he's going to be out there. They could probably get him for a million dollars then, so they could save a little bit of money on it. But that way, they're going to let the you know let the young guys go through OTAs and and maybe even into training camp and see how they do. And there's probably a decent chance McClellan can come back at some point um, if they needed it. Okay, all right. Well, um, once they clear up some of this draft space, figure out exactly how much draft space they have. We know they've got major issues on the offensive side, but on the defensive side, where should we expect them to spend some of this money? I, I, let's. I, I think yeah, uh, we're talking, we talking draft capital now. Yeah, draft capital. About, okay. Yeah. Go you go ahead, Brian. You can well, start, I Brian. Was gonna say, I mean, we've obviously, yeah, we've obviously, we've been talking about it, but I think inside linebacker is a place. Uh, if there's, yeah, you know, if there's one glaring hole right now, um, I would think that is if there's going to be a, you know, I mean, obviously what Ozzy last year um, shocked everybody with what with, with what he did in the first four rounds with all defensive players, but I would say this year if there's going to be an early pick, I would think uh, inside linebacker would be that spot. Um, and uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, I, it's one of the things I think you should, I think every year you should draw, should draft a corner, whether the, and it doesn't have to be early, but it wouldn't surprise me to see another corner at some point. Uh, the defensive line and outside linebackers seem so stacked um, with returning players that I think, I mean, obviously you always go, they always go best player. Um, one thing, another thing I think that's, that's unheralded, and I, I think, um, can hit on it a little bit a a true um back end safety with range um you know Weddle's probably i mean he's here next year he may not be here in the fourth year of his contract um so that would be something i, I would be surprised to see in, in mid, mid rounds maybe as some somewhat of a surprise pick so to speak uh get that if they can find that center fielder um that would be that would be those would be probably the three spots for drafting defense, they should have eight picks uh, before trades and things like that. So, um, I, if there are going to be defensive picks, those would probably be the three that wouldn't surprise me to see. Okay, so three. I, you're, so you're saying corner, inside linebacker, and a free, and a free safety. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
and and I, I think I would basically agree with that. I don't have any specific round conditions on this, and I think there is a reasonable chance Ozzy will spend the very first overall pick on either an inside linebacker or safety. I think it's more likely, and the money's better, or the, the draft capital is better spent on a center fielder free safety, because I think those guys are hard to find outside of the first round, the really the really good ones. Okay. It's, a, it's a marquee position. And inside linebacker, I just think you're more likely to be able to find a good one in a later round. And also, I don't want to pay top dollar now that they finally got the frickin' dime figured out. I don't want to pay do- top dollar for a second inside linebacker who can cover. I want I want a guy who's a two-down thumper and really supports the run defense and can do a little bit for you. Maybe it's a pass rusher or maybe it's in, in, with a little bit of zone coverage. Can do a little bit for you as a, a, in um, in pass defense, but not a guy who is just a, a top-end, run-with-any-tight-end kind of a Dallas Thomas uh yeah, you, you want Bart Scott. Yeah, I want I want cheap and good. <laughs> you know. Yeah, <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. I, that'll be interesting. I mean, if if they did draft a safety in the first round, and I don't, I haven't looked at much at the draft to see what what's there as far as a free safety, but I, I would wonder. I mean, I know you know the Ravens don't force their 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 guys to start. But I would wonder if they would look then to to make Weddle available, whether by by trade or eventually as a cut. Um, it just seems like because uh, you know one of the factors that we haven't really brought up is that if 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 there is a lot of pressure on Harbaugh and this you know it's been I know people have said it for a couple of years, but this certainly seems to be the make or break year for both Harbaugh and Flacco to an extent. Um, you know, can will they draft a guy like that who uh, who's going to sit behind your two starting safeties for a long time or for a year and not provide any value to to help Harbaugh keep his job? Now, you you, know, you could argue that uh, you know that the safety at some point, if he plays, could help him keep his job. But so that's something I would think would be interesting when you uh, and, and that doesn't seem to be the way Ozzy's ever drafted. But um, well, two words for you, Marlon Humphrey. Right. Well, but there's an urgency. There's more of an urgency involved this this year. And I'm not saying it's not. I mean, Ozzy's always said I'll 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 draft whoever I think is best, and I'll play Jonathan Ogden at guard his first year because I know I'm going to have him for the next ten years, and he's going to be a Pro Bowler. And you know, and and Humphrey certainly seems to fit into that kind of category. He was the same way. But there's a di- there's a difference this year that makes me wonder whether they would go that direction or not, or whether they're going to get, they're going to want that first round pick to plug in and play wherever he is. And hopefully that's wide receiver, but that's another, that's for another day. Yeah. I just, I I would hope that Harbaugh's control over the draft process would not be such that he would be able to have veto power, even over a pick of a safety. I I, I want his opinion if I'm Ozzy, but I don't, I don't want him to have, a, a final. I, I want him to have one vote. I want to have the rest of the scouts in the room to each have one vote, and then I want to have one more vote than all of them put together. And we hope it doesn't end up, you know, right. being eight to seven or nine to eight or whatever. But right, yeah. right. Now I, I agree, but it, I just wonder if there's. I mean, even for Ozzy, who knows? I mean, there's if there's some tension there that we've got to produce, um, or we're all going to be on the street. Um, I don't know. It's just I think it's just an interesting dynamic that that may come into play a little more than it has in the past. How much does right. the fact that he went so heavy on defense last year kind of force him to go offense this year? 
Well, I mean, I think you know, as, we, as we've talked to the defensive players, there's there there aren't that many. There's glaring holes. I mean, I think it's only one glaring hole. Right. Um, and, and otherwise, so I would, you know, the natural inclination would be that the, you know, they're going to be wasting some draft picks if they, you know, if they if they draft an outside linebacker, unless it's the unless it's Lawrence Taylor, you're just wasting that pick, and they're not picking high enough where there's. You know, you got to, there's that guy you got to have um, because he's that good, like a, like an Ogden was the, that one year, um, you know, so, or Bullware was perhaps in his year. But so, the, I mean, at 16, I don't think there's going to be a guy like that unless he falls and there's probably some reason he fell. Um, so that they'll, they'll be aware of it. You know, none of us fans on the outside will. So I would, I would certainly think with eight picks. Uh, you know, I mentioned three defensive players, but it wouldn't surprise me if the numbers come out to that extent. And obviously, who knows how the draft is going to play out. But, you know, five offensive players and, and, and three defensive players would seem like a, going into the draft where you would want to be. Yeah. All right. They don't always draft for need, but I, w- I would agree. I think five and three, six and two, neither of those would surprise me. Gotcha. All right, let's get to the uh, the mailbag portion, and uh, we got like three questions in, all saying, "Do you think Carr will be cut?" And I think we've already addressed that early in the show, but I do want to get to Marcus's question, who is because we haven't covered the fact that we haven't done a show since Don Martindale was announced as defensive coordinator. They went with the inside guy. Uh, with Wink taking over the defense, do we really have the personnel to play that Ryan attack style defense that he wants to play? First of all, let me let me say I'm not sure what Wink Martindale wants to play. I think the fact that he's friends with Rex Ryan doesn't necessarily mean he wants to play that defense. It could be he's very comfortable with with P's way of doing things. Maybe he wants to blitz more. Maybe he was upset about that. Um, but we'll see. We'll see what he brings. I guess in terms of the process is what I want to address here briefly is that I'm kind of upset with the process as it was. I want to either understand who they talked to before they hired Wink. And there's a bunch of people, by the way, they can't talk to now. Brian, that's correct, right? By tampering rules, uh, you know, teams were still in the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, I mean, they have... could have. Correct. They, they could have talked to the, the teams that had buys. They could have talked to their coaches um, during that first week when they were on the buy. But once, once Sunday arrived, uh, it, it's all done. It's done till the uh, till that team is done. Right. What stood out to me is why so quick to make an announcement, even with an inside guy. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, well, I, I mean, I, my... go, go ahead, Brian. I'm sorry. Well, I was just going to say. I mean, I, you can't let your own guy twist in the wind too long. I, my my sense was that they. They wanted an outside guy, and you know, all indications seemed to be it was Pagano. But there were certainly reports that you know the Colts are paying him for two more years. I think it is, and you know, his health hasn't been great, and maybe he wanted to take a step back. Um, they're not going to say, well, I mean, they're not going to come out and say, well, you know, we talked to Pagano, but he declined, so we're going to pick, we're going to pick Wink. Um, so, I mean, you can't let him twist in the wind too long as your your fallback guy um and obviously i'm sure they're comfortable with him having the job it's just a matter of there were you know i the guy I really wanted was fangio um and obviously his fate hasn't been at least as of um earlier this evening the last time i i paid attention his fate hadn't been determined yet um 
but obviously either he said he wasn't interested on, you know, he's been a guy that's been on several staffs that the head coach has been fired in the last couple of years. Um, so perhaps he, you know, and that's got to be, you know, that's another consideration is Harbaugh's got a short leash and do you want to come in and, you know, move your family and, and do all this stuff. And then a year from now, perhaps be back out on the road looking for another job. So, I mean, I think there may be some, you know, some of that in play as well. And, you know, all those things combined bring us back to Link. Okay. I'm going to say one more thing about this, and that is that when they hired John Harbaugh, they sent around to the season ticket holders an absolutely wonderful article on how it was done, what their process was, talked about all about who picked them up at the airport, how the interview started in the car on the way there, the process of going from seven, I think it was originally, down to two candidates, and they had Garrett and they had Harbaugh, and I think they really admitted that kind of that Garrett was their first choice, and he declined them and took the Cowboys job, that left them with Harbaugh, and they kind of went through the machinations there. It had Steve Bishotti written all over it. And I think Bishotti may have decided that this hire was not high enough in the organization since it wasn't the head coach and it wasn't the GM, that he didn't feel like he could imprint in that same way. And I think that was a mistake. I think this, this hire was so important in terms of handing effectively a Ferrari of a defense over to a new defensive coordinator that you could have had anybody. You could have had anybody on this earth should have loved this job. Now, Pagano, maybe for health reasons, didn't want it, but Del Rio or Ryan or, or uh, Fangio would have been good old guard choices. They have every young position coordinator or position coach to choose from to pick the new revolutionary who's going to change the game of football and could do it with some of the talent the Ravens already have there. It's just It bothers me that, we, that the process was not more transparent. Right, but it's got to be... Yeah, it, I don't... I, well, I was going to say, it, it's got to be that part that Harbaugh's going into this on the hot seat, and then you don't want to bring someone in who you're going to... if There's a chance you're clearing house next year. I, don't I mean, think I think clearing. that's part of it. Um, the, 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 other, the other thing I would say, and it's, to Ken's point as far as the, their process, I think that the big difference there is the owner hires the GM and the head coach. The head coach, especially Harbaugh, after all these all these years, he hires his coaches. And that doesn't mean he can't be forced to do something different or told to do something different. Um, and we've certainly seen head coaches who have quit or or said, "Well, then fire me. I'm not firing my guys." Um, but I think that's probably the difference. Um, now, we, we, you know, it, it, certainly a fair argument to say, "Well, Bashadi should have stepped in on this one." Um, but I, I think they they basically they're giving Harbaugh the rope, and it goes to Marty too. Um, they're giving him the rope to hang himself, and if this is who he wants, you know he does. I guess Bashadi thinks he deserves this 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 shot with his guys. But um, I think all bets are off after this year. All right. Well, fair enough. All right. Well, uh, Brian, thank you for joining us on an extra long episode of Film Study with Ken McCusick. At the top of the show, we mentioned all your writing that everyone needs to go on over to Russell Street Report and read. Uh, what, again, is your Twitter handle so people can get in touch with you? Sure. It's at Raven's Salary Cap, so pretty straightforward. And um, I'm, this time of year, like I said, I'm on there all the time. And uh, obviously, as we get closer to moves and cuts and things like that, I... I try to have the numbers out as quickly as I can uh, uh, 
put them together or, you know, get the information because obviously sometimes it doesn't come out immediately as far as numbers go. Um, and then Russell Street Report, as Ken was mentioning, there's the uh, breakdown of every player's salary there. There's the, the salary cap breakdowns for this year, next year, uh, and, and past years if you want to go back and look. And then, of course, articles, uh, you know, weekly these days will, will be coming up. Right, great. Ken, what do you have up on Russell Street right now? Okay, so I have this article, basically. The article about the defensive roster breakdown is up there. Uh, we'll be looking at the offensive roster breakdown on our next show. Brian, we, we might want to have you back for a segment on this, but I don't know if we, if we can do another hour and 50-minute show. But, uh, Josh, we appreciate <laughs> you being cool with this, but this is, a, this is a, a long commute or two commutes. Somebody's going to be able to play this over. But anyway, really appreciate it. Loved having you as a guest here. Josh, tell us about your show. On, uh, uh, my show, Section 336, is going into full swing now as we prepare for baseball season. I think there's like 44 days until pitchers report or something the Orioles had their mini camp this week with still just two starting pitchers uh this past week on the show we had Bud Norris on the show former Oriole pitcher from a few years ago current free agent out there and uh talked to him about his time on the Orioles and what it's like to be a free agent not sure where you're going to work this year is he possibly going to be back with the O's no no okay uh he is he is really trying to market himself as closer material or setup material wow and uh he did really well with the angels in that role as just a bulldog coming in late in the game and you know the orioles we don't really need a veteran there gotcha tommy hunter yeah yeah that type of guy yep all right all right, very good, guys. All right, well, we will uh, return Thank on the you. offensive in a couple, maybe next week. We got to give good. we got to give people plenty of time to get through this episode. <laughs> All right, have a good night, Ken. Thank you, Brian. Thank you. All right, we're. All- At Lowe's, we're your go-to for great gardening values every day. That's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch, now starting at just $2.88 a bag. Mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture, and when you put it down around trees, shrubs, and flower beds, you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space, just in time to welcome back family and friends. Shop online and pick up in-store. Lowe's, home to the best part of summer. Selection and product availability vary by location. While supplies last, U.S. only. Excludes Alaska and Hawaii. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.